Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Dan Lyman, the editor-in-chief at Borderhawk.News, a correspondent for InfoWars, and today taking a look at immigration and refugee issues from a worldwide perspective. Dan Lyman, thanks for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Rob. Thank you. You've spent a lot of time in Europe and you continue to cover issues going on in Europe. And I would imagine that the experience that Europe is having, we'll get into some specifics, but that this could be very instructive for the United States if we were to pay attention. Certainly, certainly. Like you said, I lived there for about six years and have been covering the issues there, continuing here, even in my time in the States for InfoWars Europe. And so, you know, there's just just a deluge of news every day if you know where to look uh, in terms of what's going on in the ground in Europe. And what's interesting uh, and never fails to disappoint, of course, is that the mainstream media generally does not cover these issues. They uh, gloss over these stories and glom onto others. So uh, what we do at InfoWars Europe is we monitor a lot of the foreign language media and try to pick out the most important stories or the most important narratives from stories in those languages and bring them into English. And so we have found that the amount of stories that go unreported by the mainstream media is really really stunning. I, I half, you know, half joked to my colleagues, we could probably spin off uh, InfoWars Europe into InfoWars France and InfoWars UK and InfoWars Spain, because there's just so much to cover and so little time in the day. So yeah, definitely been, uh, definitely still on that. And uh, we've had a couple of big stories that have come across the wire in the last couple of weeks here in InfoWars Europe that we've covered. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's terrible to say, but in a way, uh, a lot of the crime that I I have to uh, read through a monitor in France that is committed by migrants. You get a little desensitized to it and you kind of see, for instance, yesterday uh, I had to choose uh, what to cover. And one of the stories was that a Sudanese migrant had gone on a stabbing spree in France and killed at least three people. And that story was actually overshadowed by an even worse story. I figured this one really needed some attention. So we focused on this one. But, you know, it's like I said, you get a little desensitized. It's really shocking on a daily basis. But anyways, this latest story, uh, and I want to tie it to another one that we covered recently. But uh, last week, a teenage girl, 17-year-old girl who lives in a a town in Germany, she uh, was going out for shopping in a nearby town. And she went to take the bus, told her parents she would be back by nightfall. She never returned. She went missing. She was missing for five or six days. They launched a manhunt for her in the area and unfortunately they found her body in a nearby village or town at a wastewater treatment plant and they arrested the suspect. Suspect turns out to be a 35 year old Syrian national. Mm. Now, of course, if you recall, Germany threw its borders open to 
quote unquote Syrians back in 2015, 2016. Uh, Merkel, that was running the country at that time, said, We can do this. That was the, the rallying cry. And they took in over 2 million migrants from all over the world, many of whom claimed to be Syrians. And so they've been living in Germany ever since for the most part and bringing in their families. So it's very hard to pin down in some cases uh, under what circumstances or what permits some of these people are living in Germany. Very little information has been released about the suspect, but this is just the trickle-down uh, horror that has played out in, in Europe uh, since 2015, 2016, when Merkel threw the, <laughs> the borders open to uh, anyone that wanted to come in at that time. That was the, what we had to cover yesterday and ignore the mass stabbing by the Sudanese migrant and, of course, a slew of other stories. And I'll tie that back to one other story that we covered last week uh, on a similar event. Sweden has been really roiled by this particular crime. It was basically an attempted murder and a brutal rape of a nine-year-old girl oh. on a, play, a playground in a, in a very kind of a rural area. It wasn't Stockholm. It was pretty far north. Uh, not too far from uh, the Finnish border up there. So this girl was found uh, basically on her deathbed uh, in the woods near this playground by a couple who summoned the authorities and the girl. They were able to save the girl, but she's in pretty bad shape. She spent close to a week, I believe, in a medically induced coma. And uh, eventually they tracked down the suspect who turned out to be a migrant from Africa who came over to Sweden with his family and at the time claimed to be very young. He came in 2017 from Ethiopia. The authorities initially reported that he was a 13-year-old male. It later came out that he probably had lied about his age, which is so often the case with many of these migrants, both in Europe and North America. So they're still trying to nail down exactly how old he is, but apparently it's known that he is absolutely terrorizing the schools that they put him in, they, he's known for a, uh, a slew of sex attacks on adults and uh, younger people in recent years, all of which have been basically swept under the rug. And now we're at a point here where he's nearly killed a nine-year-old girl on a playground in Sweden. Uh, this, this quote really sticks out at me. One of the local parents said, should such a person be allowed to go unpunished? Should they remain in the country? We pay our contributions to them and they come here and misbehave. It's completely inconceivable. I'm afraid it will be a cover-up and that the suspect will go free and soon on to the next victim. I tell you these two stories just to show the things that don't go reported in the mainstream media and those same types of horrific crimes that are being committed in North America as well as the United States, and those are also getting generally swept under the rug, and uh, everyone needs to be aware of what's going on on the ground. Dan, you mentioned that these are not reported by the mainstream media, but what is the sense of the people in these European countries where this is taking place? Are they aware of this generally, and how are they responding? Yes, generally, a lot of people are. I mean, of course, there's going to be a large segment of the population that is going to remain willfully ignorant, or they're going to call anyone out who points these things out. Uh, they're going to call them out as racists or uh, xenophobes or you know, whatever the other attacks that, you know, many of us receive for simply pointing these things out, but it bears out in the, in the polling. I, I always hearken back to this poll that was conducted, I believe in 2017, 2018 by an institute in Hungary. They polled 1,000 people from 35 different European countries, 1,000 per country. So the sample size was absolutely massive, close to 35,000 people. Uh, at the top of the list, within the top three and often the most important uh, for them, the issues facing them and their countries was immigration, open borders, 
So plenty of people on the ground know. But as we all know here in America, our officials, our elected officials and politicians rarely listen to us on these topics. I'm curious if you're aware, has there been any analysis of a pre-immigration wave and post-immigration wave crime statistics in these various European countries? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the crime, especially in Western Europe, where the most migrants have come, I'm sure many of your listeners will know that uh, in many of the Eastern European countries, they haven't been quite so welcoming mm-hmm. and they also uh, haven't received so many migrants. Although the, the Ukraine conflict is changing that, Poland has been absolutely swamped with migrants uh, and refugees, of course, and asylum seekers from that conflict. And so have the, many of the neighboring countries and a lot of them haven't been vetted. But uh, just, you know, since since uh, 2015, 2016, crime has exploded in countries like Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, France, Spain. And it's an ongoing crisis in terms of the, the migrants coming in. There was a bit of a lull comparatively during the COVID border shutdowns. But uh, Frontex, which is the European border agency, they have been uh, warning in, in recent year to year and a half that the numbers are coming back up and they're absolutely explosive now at this point so it's it's ongoing that also gets very little coverage people come you know kind of uh can look the other way if they only pay attention to the mainstream media and pretend that it was only bad in 2015 2016 but it's still going now and the crime is just shooting through the roof so we have also issues at aquatic centers in france and maybe in other places in europe what what are these places and what's going on there yeah that is that is such an interesting uh, and disturbing topic that i've been covering for a couple of years now, really since uh, since the migration crisis, uh, you know, you have, you have huge numbers of foreigners that have just arrived in Europe or they've brought their children over and they have just arrived in Europe. What we've seen here, it's this incredible phenomenon that really has gotten a lot crazier in, in the last couple of years is basically uh, swimming culture in Europe is very popular. As we've probably heard, there's a, quite a heat wave there in Europe right now. And the difference between Europe and the United States is generally there, there isn't very much air conditioning, especially in, in residences. And so swimming there, uh, whether it's at a, a proper pool or if it's at a swimming hole or at a lake or at the ocean, it really is a big thing. So in Europe, you know, you might find that there's cafes by the lake or there's a, there's a, a little bit more in terms of infrastructure to make it even more pleasant. So it really is this unique European experience to go swimming in Europe. And I've had had that pleasure all over the, the continent. And it really is something special and, and something that uh, that they've been doing for hundreds of years, of course, to stay cool in the summer and spend time with family. Well, what's happening now in these countries where there are a lot of migrants is they're having absolute chaos situations. Uh, recently in France, they had to deploy the military police in order to uh, to quell a riot at a swimming facility there because uh, hundreds of migrants in some cases will gather at these facilities and they will either storm their way in if they don't want to pay or they will get in massive fights at these facilities. There'll be stabbings. They will often attack very, very young girls or sexual assaults all the time at these facilities. This year, when the, the swimming season kicked off a few weeks back, when the pool started opening and people started going out, for swims, it, there was a weekend where there was incidents in every country, and so we were we were eyeing all of that and trying to do our best to report on it. There were more stories than we could even Germany, Switzerland, France, uh, the Netherlands, and Belgium, like I said, and uh, they, they just get worse every year. And now it's really become a thing 
where a lot of Europeans are now, they're, they're afraid to go to the, to the swimming areas, to the pools. Uh, Germany is now deploying more police to these pools, uh, the, the trouble spots. So this really changes the texture of life for Europeans, for European families, something that their, you know, their ancestors cultivated that is part of their uh, society, part of their culture is being just stolen from them. The only answer to it is, is basically more police. So you have more migrants, more police and fewer Europeans at many of these facilities now because they're simply too unsafe. Is this a coordinated effort because you mentioned this going on in multiple locations or is it just coincidental that this is happening? It's both. I mean, we, we see what happens here in the U.S. where you have mobs of hundreds of uh, quote-unquote teens will storm a mall or they'll gather in, a, in an area of, you know, the downtown or something like that. And, you know, nothing good happens when hundreds of rowdy teens are looking for trouble and they gather in an area. And, and you have to assume that in many cases the word goes out on social media for them to gather uh, maybe they're planning, hey, we're all going to you know, go to this one pool and we're not going to pay. Or it could be, in a way, spontaneous once they get together. What happens next? Definitely unrest is in the cards. So in a way, it's coordinated, but it's, it's also just what happens when you have, let's say, hundreds of people from a completely different continent who don't necessarily respect the rules or think that they don't apply to them gathering in a place where everyone else just wants to be left alone. And so what is the end game here? Is this, uh, is this the future of Europe or is there any effort in any country to turn back the tide and maybe expel some of the troublemakers? Denmark has, has made a bit of an effort to kind of start sending some people back and start, they've basically started dismantling what they call ghettos there. And ghettos is just another word for uh, neighborhoods where migrants gather. And they, they basically have tried to put in some rules where uh, the, the foreign-born population can't be more than a certain percentage, something like 30% in any given district or neighborhood in order to prevent those sorts of uh, buildups like we see in, in many places, for instance, in places like uh, Minneapolis where you have massive Somali populations and they take over entire sectors of the, the city or entire uh, apartment complexes or whatever. So they're trying to do that a little bit. But in general, no. Um, nobody gets sent home, really. Nobody gets deported. For instance, we've talked in the past about thousands and thousands of migrants pouring across the English Channel into the UK and the, and the officials there. Once they get enough pushback, they'll make some show saying, all right, we're going to start deporting these people or we're going to turn them back. And then you find out, you know, zero between zero and 10 have, have been deported out of thousands and thousands. So, no, there is no effort. The effort is typically uh, when a story like this comes out or a story like these that we've discussed is either sweep it under the rug or move on and hope that everyone forgets and just keep pushing forward and deploy some more police to the swimming pool and uh, just hope that everyone, you know, doesn't complain enough or doesn't storm the Bastille or something like that. They're just hoping that they can continue on this trajectory. And, and I really think they are crashing Europe into the side of a cliff right now. And I think that the time bomb that is going off, I mean, it is unavoidable the future that Europe faces, especially Western Europe, and it's really sad to behold. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with Dan Lyman in just a moment. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Border 
Firehawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at Borderhawknews on Twitter. Get your fix online at shillingshow.com. Dan Lyman is our guest on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. He's the editor-in-chief at Borderhawk.news, a correspondent with InfoWars. We're covering immigration and refugee issues. I'd like to take a turn to the United States now. We're seeing boat migrants reaching the coasts, both coasts of the United States of America. So let's start off with how our coasts are protected from immigration invasions. Right. So... Everybody right now, of course, that is talking about the immigration issue is, is for the most part, is, is, is focused on the southern, southern border, the southwest border, to be mm-hmm. more specific, the land border that we share with Mexico. But due to the fact that the Biden administration has thrown the doors open and basically said, if you can make it here, you can effectively stay here. Very few people are getting sent away. Uh, that is really uh, sparked an uptick along our coasts as well. Of course, in the Caribbean, we have places like Cuba and Haiti where people are desperate to get out, and I totally understand why. In the Keys, in the Florida Keys, South Florida, in the Caribbean there, we have the Coast Guard patrolling, and then we also have Border Patrol, uh, Customs and Border Protection, AMO, Air and Marine Operations, and they are busy. They said, uh, I just read that since the start of fiscal year, which is uh, October 1st, Coast Guard crews have deployed to the southeastern coast of Florida and waters around Haiti and Puerto Rico have intercepted more than 10,000 people attempting to enter the U.S. by boat. Just 2,000 of the 10,000 were off the coast of Cuba and Puerto Rico, while the remainder were around South Florida and the Florida Keys. So we have a lot of action. There was a uh, recently a story. It was close to 100 migrants, if I recall correctly, from Haiti. Uh, they shipwrecked just off of a, a, a key down there, and they ended up gathering on a private the, the lawn of a private residence, a nice mansion-type home there, and they just all swam ashore and gathered there. It was a very startling image, but it was just one of many that, that occur. We have all sorts of strange <laughs> strange boats that, I, you know, I have to say I admire these people in a way for being able to pull it off at all because some of these boats don't look like they're seaworthy at all, and they somehow make these very treacherous journeys. and. A lot of times they're reaching the Florida Keys, they're reaching South Florida, sometimes even beaches around Miami, they're just landing these these boats there. So it is really uh, chaotic there in the Caribbean. And then also uh, on our other shore waters on the other side of the country in the Pacific, uh, it's very busy there as well. Just over, uh, not this past weekend, but the previous uh, Customs and Border Protection intercepted 52 illegal aliens in a span of 54 hours. 
they uh, intercepted one boat carrying 31 migrants, uh, another one with, I believe, 18 migrants. And so these are migrants from all around the world. They're launching basically out of Mexico. And in some cases, they're being trafficked by American citizens on boats. And then also they're, they're finding their way on what's called these panga boats, which are very uh, rustic, crude boats, kind of like very large canoes almost, if I'm not mistaken. And they're trying to reach the U.S. coast uh, close to San Diego, Torrey Pines, that area from Mexico. So the waterways are very busy as well, and that gets very little coverage uh, because the southwestern border really sucks all the air out of the room when it comes to that. Dan, is there a difference in the interdiction policy? In other words, if, if these boats are apprehended or intercepted on the seas, are they then escorted in or are they turned back? They're not typically uh, escorted. They'll be, they'll be, a lot of times they'll be brought onto boats because, of course, many of them are not seaworthy, so they can't even be necessarily escorted in many cases. But I have noticed, it's very hard to find out what happens to illegals once they are taken into the custody of the authorities because they'll say that they were just, you know, brought in for processing. That's typically where press releases and explanations and statements from CBP will end. They were brought for processing. And then you don't find out what happens after they were processed. Interestingly, particularly in the Caribbean, I have noticed that the Coast Guard will sometimes re, uh, repatriate these people. And for some reason, it's often Cubans that I see that get sent back. So for whatever reason, sometimes Cubans who arrive by boat are actually repatriated, which sounds almost like surreal at a time when nobody seems to be getting repatriated. But as we see, of course, uh, many of them are just making it over to the mainland and entering that way. And I don't think that many of them are getting repatriated. The speculation is that the Cubans might be more conservative politically and then they're the ones who are going to be turned away. Is there any any indication that might be true? Uh, I think it certainly could be true. I don't know if that's necessarily what the policy is. I feel like it has something to do more with possibly with the Coast Guard getting involved. Um, but certainly that holds true in general. Uh, Miami is, I'm from Miami, actually. I spent a lot of time there. I definitely have noticed that the the Cubans are far more conservative than many of their counterparts from other other countries in South America, Central America. It's where they came from. It makes sense. They're very anti-communistic. Also, the the Venezuelans are as well. That doesn't mean, in my opinion, that they should all be coming over and being allowed to stay uh, in many cases, uh, as they are when they're coming through the land border now. I could see where they, they may present a bit of a, a problem en masse for the powers that be. Has Governor DeSantis taken any substantive steps in this, or is there anything that he can do that he's not doing? You know, it's really hard to tell. I, I, I feel like he says all the right things. I feel like this state is definitely crawling with illegal aliens. I see them, you know, I've ended up in entire neighborhoods with them. And I feel like the federal government is doing everything that it can to usurp his powers. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely an ongoing battle. There was recent footage uh, out of Orlando. It was outside of the, I believe, the ICE office there. And they had migrants sleeping all over the the grass waiting to to be heard, to have their cases heard or to, uh, to to go through processing. And it was happening in Orlando and it was like news crews were there. And you kind of ask yourself, what is being done if these people are allowed to just camp out outside of, you know, government offices? So it's really hard to tell what is going on 
at the ground level and how much is being done to turn these people back or send them elsewhere. I have to say there's been a lot of hype about Texas and Arizona busing their illegals to uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, DeSantis has you know, uh, hinted that he might do the same or send them to Delaware. I don't support uh, policies like those. That's just bringing them deeper into the interior. I think it's a political stunt to make some headlines and garner a little support ahead of the, uh, the election, the midterms. I'm not a fan of that tactic at all, and, uh, and I do hope that he doesn't take that tactic. He has talked about it. I'd rather see them sent out of the country or even turned into federal, turned over to federal authorities just means they're going to get brought in as well. It's a very tricky game that's being played right now. And, and I do understand how some of these governors have their hands tied to some degree. Let's talk about D.C. and Mayor Bowser complaining about illegal aliens coming in and filling the shelters there. I'm guessing they're coming from these states. Yeah, that was an interesting story that came out over the last couple of days here. If you recall, I think the last time we spoke, uh, you also interviewed our reporter that had actually gone to Washington, D.C. and actually been there for some of the buses arriving. So when the buses were coming in from Texas, there were groups of people there from NGOs, organizations, uh, nonprofits that were waiting for them to welcome them into the city. And also you had Antifa there as well that was running uh, cover for them that was basically disrupting any reporting that was being done. What's interesting is, you know, I guess they've kept coming, some of them. Uh, Some of them have been coming from Arizona as well. They've been bussed in. And now apparently the homeless shelters are to the gills. They're overflowing with mostly illegal aliens at this point where they're using up all the, the local resources. And the mayor of Washington, D.C., Mary, uh, Mariel Bowser, she is not happy about this. And I, I, I'm a little skeptical about this as well. I think she's just hoping to garner more federal funding for her city to deal with all of this. I don't think she really cares that they're packing up the homeless shelters because we actually pulled this up the other day. In 2016, she issued a statement reaffirming the District of Columbia as a sanctuary city. And she said, we celebrate diversity and respect all D.C. residents, no matter of their immigration status. We are a sanctuary city because we know that our neighborhoods are safer and stronger when no one is afraid to call on our government for help. I think that she is also not afraid to call on her government for help and that she's using this as a tactic to simply secure more federal funding. But it is kind of rich to see uh, the mayor there complaining in in any regard about an influx of illegals when they have been pouring into border states and other, uh, other communities all around the country for a very long time. Dan, where can our listeners get more information on the work that you're doing? Always stop by borderhawk.news. We're updating that daily with immigration news. You can find that on Twitter and Gab as well, borderhawk news. Or you can find me, Real Dan Lyman, on Twitter. All my work is at Infowars as well. I thank you so much for your continuing efforts. You're getting the word out, and it's so important. Dan Lyman, thanks for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. All the best. Take care. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.